everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Knights of the Hollow Table. This is it. This is the episode in which we discuss the season finale of season one of The Mandalorian. I am so excited. This has some of my favorite moments of the whole series in it, and I can't wait to discuss this with my two co-hosts. I'm Eric, of course, and I am joined tonight by Fred and Andrea. Uh, Andrea, how are you doing? I am doing fantastic. I am really happy to be back at school after Snowmageddon last week. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. All right. And am, and am I correct that on your first day back, you gave your students an exam? Yes. So uh, not because I'm a terrible human being, but last know, week they had exams. Like no, no. Last week they had exams. No, okay. their so they got lucky. were answered. The Heavenly Father opened up the heavens and just spewed snow <laughs> on our town. Yeah, it sounds like you guys got it pretty bad. So I have yeah, to ask got, you, though, Andrew. We got a solid six inches, and yeah. they shut down school for a week. Six inch. How many kilometers is that? About three. Three kilometers of snow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I get covered from one side of town to the other. Yeah, but how many kilometers deep was it? Was what I was asking. Oh, six inches. How, how how many is that in kilogators? Um, at least seventeen. Wow, that's a lot of snow. That's like Hoth. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. Fred, I'm glad that uh, you have survived that. Did you take Andrea's uh, English <clears throat> test? I did not, but okay. I helped write the bonus question. I saw oh my gosh, that. So so I have to actually tell everybody about the questions. Okay. So the first question is bonus. Mm -hmm. The first question was blank. I am your father. And I am happy to say that some of my students actually wrote, no, I am your father instead of Luke. I am your father. Very so good. So that was a win. So they yes. passed my test. And then the other question was, I, can you read it word for word, Eric, because you have it open? I just closed it. Oh, oh no. It was, what was the name of the little green alien that Missy always talks about in class? And every single student said Baby Yoda. <laughs> Not <laughs> so, surprising. I mean, well, and you awesome. drew a little picture of it at the bottom of the class. Now, to uh, be at fair. At the bottom of the test. <laughs> so... That 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 answer is incorrect. Why? Because it's not. It's not actually Yoda. A baby it's of Yoda. The child. It is the child. Well, you have to fail them if they didn't put the child. Okay. Every one of them has <laughs> failed the bonus questions, no. which is a minus hundred mm -hmm. to the entire quiz. No. Exam. Whatever. Wow. They have Good to. Fred's not a teacher. He's harsh. I'm. I'm glad he's retake ruthless. High school. Hmm. All right. Well, before we get started, once again, we want to give you ways you can contact us. So as you're listening to this episode, if there's something that we say that upsets you and instead of yelling and screaming at your car stereo, instead, you can email us. You can send it to nights at randomchatter.com. You can find us in Discord by going to randomchatter.com slash Discord and then going to the Knights of the Holotable channel. You can also find us on Instagram and Twitter at Random Chatter and at Force Chatter. And then if you would like to become a member of the Random Chatter Network, 
You can go to randomchatter.com slash Patreon for more information on how to do that. And then as a special thank you, we've created a lot more channels in our Discord server that's available to all of the members of the network, even if you're just donating $1 a month. It's a big help. It all adds up and it helps defray the costs of running the network. And we really, really appreciate the support that all of the members of the Random Cheddar Network have uh, decided to help us out with. So thank you for that. We would also help, uh, we would love it rather, if you would help support the show by leaving us reviews, by sharing us out on social media, and telling your friends about us. I'm sure you're probably talking to somebody about The Mandalorian. And then once Clone Wars starts up here again in a few weeks, you'll probably be talking to somebody about that. Whether it's online or in person, let them know. Hey, there's this podcast that covers the Star Wars content on Disney Plus, and you should really be listening to them. It's called Knights of the Hollow Table. Tell your friends about us. Tell your enemies about us too. We don't care. We're not, we're not picky. Whatever works. Not at all. Yeah. All right. Chapter eight: Redemption. This opens with one of my favorite scenes from the entire series. Wait, wait, but before you get to that, uh huh. What does the title represent to you in terms of the overall episode? Well, we might have to talk more about the episode for that. Um, um, you know, this is I'll, something I'll that be we honest, do I haven't really given it a lot of thought. I meant to give it thought because I thought of that question earlier and I just moved right on past it. What does it mean for you, Andrea? Well, redemption really means the action of saving or being saved from sin, evil, or or error or evil. Um, the action of regaining or gaining possession of something in exchange for payment or clearing a debt. See, Fred, you would have done really well on Andrea's English exam. <laughs> Look at that. That Google is not allowed on the exam. Oh, but, you're a horrible <laughs> teacher. I could just double-click, right-click, search. Oh, is that why it's highlighted so, like that in the show notes? That that's good. Yeah. See, <laughs> so Fred is the smartest. I think that redemption has a lot to do with IG eleven. Um, I really do think that this was an episode for him, and it's just him redeeming himself after like after what the Mandalorian thinks of him. So even at the beginning of this episode, the Mandalorian still doesn't trust him. He thought that he was the one that shot Quill. And then he's like, no, I have the child. He's dead. He redeems himself by saving the child. He redeems himself by saving the Mandalorian um, and the crew. He redeems himself by saving the Mandalorian's life and actually letting him live. Mm -hmm. He redeems himself by sacrificing himself in the in the end um so i think that that was part of where the episode title comes from okay now however if he's merely following programming and isn't really making a a conscious decision to choose one path over another one based on morals or ethics does that really qualify as redemption? I would agree to a certain point. So when you have a droid, you program it to a certain point of view. And that's one of the things I didn't like about the IG-11 reprogramming scene is you don't teach a droid to do the very basic things. Mm -hmm. um, it just knows how to 
turn left, turn right, you know, shoot a gun, aim, whatever. It it just knows how to do those things because of basic programming. It learns human behavior through interactions. And it grows through those behaviors over time. And um, if you put C-3PO in with Han for too long, he just becomes annoying. So he learns of his past mistakes and he redeems himself over on through what Andrea is saying. And I, I do agree with that. Um, and one other thing that I also want to mention is that we also have the redemption arc for, for Quill. Like his life was sacrificed and the Mandalorian feels guilty over that. And he wants to make that right um, by succeeding. So it, it's the Mandalorian uh, who we can now call Jaren um, mm-hmm. redeeming himself well, regarding Quill. Like Quill isn't actually in need of redemption because it's more so the Mandalorian. The Mandalorian, yeah. He uh, needs to justify to himself it. that Quill has died for uh, the child. Right. And so he's redeeming himself through his own actions to persevere um, to save the child because of his death. So I'm going to throw because this of the sacrifice uh, spanner in the works here. Of both of them. The third episode is titled The Sin. Mm-hmm. And this one is titled Redemption. Is there anything about episode or chapter three that this directly reflects back on um, so, as far as redemption? I mean, we, we see the, the covert and um, the Mandalorians come out and, and battle to rescue the child. And then in this episode, we, we haven't gotten to this part of the, our discussion about it yet, but we see the destruction of the covert. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. So could this be redemption regarding that, regarding the Mandalorians, plural? Right, because, yeah, he, um, Dejaran is suffering the loss of all his brothers. He doesn't know who they are, but they are Mandalorians. It is the way he defends their lives. He defends their honor. He will defend the creed. And to see them all dead and sacrificed to let him escape, well, that's the way he assumes it anyway, is that they all died because they exposed themselves to allow him to escape, that he feels... Um, guilty for their deaths. Yeah. And he need, he needs to redeem them by saving the child and continuing on with his life to make their deaths meaningful. And there's one more uh, way in which we could look at it that is much more shallow. But the sin in episode three was pretty much the violation of the bounty hunter code. Yep. And then at the end of yeah. episode eight... Uh, his record is effectively cleansed by grief, thus the redemption as a bounty hunter. So that one I don't like as much. I don't um, either, though it seems a lot more on the nose with the episode titles and, and the resolutions at the end of the episodes. So in the very strictest sense, but if you follow the letter of the law of the bounty hunter code, he's still in the wrong. But he's done the right thing. Correct. And I think yeah. that's more important 
now than it is earlier in the season. Yeah. And I think grief has finally realized that um, through the events that happened through episode seven yeah. and into eight. So, hmm. so I, I don't disagree, but I think the other ones are more important. Okay. I, well, I definitely agree with that. Good question, Andrea. I like an, like analysis. Uh, I can't even talk. Analyzing uh, titles. I think that they have a lot to play. And I like that you brought Zinn because you can tie it to other um, episodes that we've seen. Yeah. All right. So getting into this episode. My gosh, this was a long (laughs) wait for me to get to talk about those scout troopers because holy crap, I loved that scene. So this had. Why uh, did you like it, Eric? Tell me. What did I like about it? I, I Why just, did you like it? it? It was very Tag and Bink. It was very Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. It was uh, Jason Sudeikis and Adam Pally were playing the two scout troopers. And it's just like them sitting there bantering and arguing back and forth. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I would totally be that guy. And <laughs> and the, the punching of the baby Yoda was obviously not something I would condone, but I thought it was hilarious. Uh, I, I'm so pissed off that he was like, I wouldn't condone because I was about to be like, so you like child abuse. I see. He's not a child. So technically I like elder abuse. It's elder abuse. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, and then the the one pulling out the gun and shooting it with like that can or whatever it was. And then the second one, like, oh, my gosh, already. And he pulls out his and he goes to shoot it and he can't hit it either. And it's like, I don't know, six feet away from them or something. I don't know if you noticed, but like, yeah, it, it gets really bad. And when IG-11 shows up to claim the child, he's pointing the gun dead center of the chest of IG-11. And then when he pulls the trigger, he hits the ground to the left of his right foot. I didn't see that. Yeah, it is bad. And he's probably oh, 10 I've got to go away. back and look at that. <laughs> wow. So funny. I'm immediately going to, when we're done here, I'm going to go back and look at that scene. That is incredible. <laughs> I love that. And I love like when they're shooting at the can, the second one who's like trying to show off to the first one, like he looks at his blaster and he, he kind of slams it against his hand a couple of times. Like, oh, maybe this thing's not on or it's not, you know, yeah, it's totally the blaster's fault. It's not. The stormtroopers, yeah. but like that—that that is the most inside joke in all of Star Wars, and for them to like make a point canonically of of making fun of that, I loved that inside joke. So, as much as I actually really enjoyed the scene, except for the, you know the child abuse, whatever elder abuse, the only thing I didn't like about this scene is I thought they went a couple beats too long. I have to agree with that a little bit. Nah, I, I can see I, I can see that <laughs> so, opinion. I, I enjoy the scenes where they are shooting at the can and shooting at IG-11. It, it was the part where they're like, oh, he killed a whole platoon just because he showed up. Oh, he killed an officer for asking him a question. I think that's the part I really didn't like. Yeah. But the interaction between the two of them, I thought it was pretty funny. Okay. I, I loved that. Like, I thought it was the perfect length. Because I, I think having that um, that pause, and especially in the break from the cliffhanger from last episode and everything, kind of having that moment to just kind of sit and pause. I mean, you really get the sense that these are two guys who were just sitting there. 
And like, we're yeah. waiting for the story to move on, but they're waiting too. Like they're just, they're stuck. They, they don't right. get to go into base. They don't get to do anything else. They, they're just stuck there. So to me, it, it kind of made the, the moment even better. And it made it feel like, okay, I can just sit and enjoy this moment. I don't have to figure out what's going to happen next. This is a little interlude. And I can just sit and enjoy it. But I right. get, like, yeah, it was, I think if it lasted any longer, <clears throat> it, it might have been a little rough. When you say that it reminded you of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, I appreciated it a little bit more. Yeah. Um, because there's so much seriousness in the show, just having a chance to breathe, even though the characters are still having trouble, it's a little bit nice. But I do still agree it was a little bit too long. Um, mm -hmm. They just make the stormtroopers seem very incompetent. Yes, but um, that's exactly what's so awesome about <laughs> it. I, I see what you're saying, though. It, it was... Uh, I, I don't think it was too long, but it was on the cusp of, of being that. And I can see that people might think it was. And I loved mm -hmm. IG-88, or IG, I keep doing that. I love IG-11 at the end, like taking the second one and just like bashing him into the speeder bike. <laughs> oh, oh, that was good. All the scenes with IG-11 were fantastic. Just his yeah. ability to, no Fs to give, just bam, bam, bam into the speeder bike. Let's go. <laughs> It was like the Hulk and Loki at the end of Avengers. Yeah. Exactly. Like, that's what it reminded me of. It's just like picking him up like a rag doll and slamming him into the ground. It was great. And so uh, the Internet kind of blew up after that. People were pissed off at Jason Sudeikis and Adam Pally. And uh, it, it was hard to figure out because the Internet being the way it is, which of those were jokes and which of them were serious. Sure. But um, which of course makes sense. But yeah. All right, so let's move through uh, through the rest of the episode here. We've got the standoff outside the cantina. They but, bring no, okay, in hold on. the yep. whole IG Eleven nurse droid line. What did you think about that? Oh, I I thought it was it was uh, because they introduced it at that scene. It was silly and goofy, but I was okay with it because it kind of fit. Like the whole scene was silly and goofy anyway. Sure. Yeah. So. I don't know. It, a nurse droid. And, and you think, hmm, well, okay. <laughs> uh, um, if you're going to have any nurse droid, that's the one you want for your daughter. Well, yeah. <laughs> no dude is ever asking her out. Nope. Ever. So, the E-Web Heavy Repeating Blaster. <clears throat> I remember that toy when I was a kid. So we saw it in Empire Strikes Back on Ego Base. Yep. And uh, it seems to be the Star Wars equivalent of a 50 cal, which a 50 caliber, which is basically um, designed for taking down like vehicles and uh, what the one time I was on a training deployment where we were on a detachment with army personnel. I was in the air force. Uh, they had a 50 cal set up and they spent like two days trying to get this 50 cal structure set up with the sandbags and location, and all that. And they said, listen, we don't fire this at troops. 
And I said, why are the bullets that expensive? He's like, no, you're revealing your position and then you become a target and then you have to pack up and move it again. And it takes another day or two to, to get it set up. And it's designed for, for vehicles and stuff. You just, you don't use it on personnel unless you absolutely have to. So mm-hmm. this kind of being the analog for that in Star Wars, I, I say that to point out the level of overkill that an e-web is in a position like this. Like, yeah, I guess it helps to be able to shoot through the wall of the cantina, but it didn't really look like they had that much of a problem doing that in the first place. Oh, okay. So unless you're Arnold Schwarzenegger holding it with two hands on top of a building at the end of Terminator 2. Uh-huh. It's yeah, it's really overkill for the scene that they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And the Mando being able to pick it up at all. Uh, again, if we're going to use the real world analog of it, probably just not going to happen. But uh, it was a cool scene. Although I have to say, I was a little upset that Cara Dune didn't pick it up. And I, I kind of wanted to see her mowing through stormtroopers with it. I actually expected her to be the one to pick it up. I did not think it was going to be the Mando. Yeah. And to be honest, I thought the entire scene was. I thought that was a poor plot point. Like, they had enough firepower to get what they wanted. Yeah. um, Gideon was just trying to show his dominance and arrogance. I think arrogance more than dominance, because Mm -hmm. he was already dominant in that scene. There was three people in the bar. The only thing Gideon didn't know was where the baby was at that moment. He wasn't exactly sure if it was inside the bar or if it was still... um, on its way to the razor crest. So, and that's why he was taking his time. That, that's what I have to accept because if he knew the baby was not in the bar, he would have stormed it immediately. I don't know though, because if he stormed it immediately, the likelihood <clears throat> of the, the three people inside the bar being dead is pretty high. And which if, is fine. He doesn't care about the lives. No, well, so I was wondering about that until I rewatched it and near the end of all of this, uh, this shootout and everything. So they go outside, they have the shootout, they end up retreating back into the cantina. And uh, the Mando points out the only reason we're still alive is because he doesn't have the baby. Right. So if he had the baby, he would kill them all. If he didn't have the baby, that's why he needed them alive, because if they hid the baby somewhere... He can't search an entire planet for the baby. I mean, I I know people who can't search their living room for their car keys. Or the whole planet, the you're not going to find that baby. So if exactly. they hit it somewhere, uh, he needs them alive so he can torture it out of them or whatever. And if they go storming the gates and, and just mowing the place down, then they're going to have to resort to a more thorough search, which they could do, but I don't think they want to do. So that's why they gave him, because that's the other thing I was trying to figure out. Why not what, giving him till sundown? What's the point of that? Exactly. Yeah. But it was so that he could convince them to surrender so right. that he could find out where the baby is. And I have to say, mm-hmm. I, I liked the fact that they got out of the cantina and they seemed to mostly be doing okay. And uh, IG-11 is... is um, blazing through the town on the speeder bike, which, by the way, he's mowing down most of a, a squad of, of storm, or more than a squad, 
of stormtroopers with no problem. Why did the rebellion not mass produce IG droids? Because they're stupid. The original trilogy <laughs> would have been so much shorter. <laughs> yeah. Because B1 droids were cheaper? I guess. Instead of Clone Wars, there would be like IGs. <laughs> IG, yeah, IG Wars. Just you, you drop a couple off on IG a planet wars. and you walk away. Well, it wouldn't be a war. It would be Endgame. Right. Pretty much. <laughs> so anyhow, so I like the fact that, you know, they come out guns a blazing. You think they're going to do OK. And they they really don't. Um, and I noticed the Death Trooper did take a couple of shots. I think I counted three shots total and like it didn't even phase them. Yeah. So, yeah, I completely agree that the Death Trooper armor was significantly more susceptible to firepower than uh, Stormtrooper armor. Yeah. So it could take three to four shots instead of one. Yeah. Well, it may probably more than that, too. So. Yeah. So Maybe. I liked yeah, sure. I liked that. Uh, and, and they looked way cooler. Oh, they look so much cooler. <laughs> and I noticed. Uh, so we saw Jawa. And the two stormtroopers on either side of them get shot. I think this is the first time we see a Jawa in Star Wars that doesn't yell Utini. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, John Favreau. Probably should have. But I like the fact that Gideon kind of outsmarted the Mandalorian by shooting the E-Web's power supply. And you mm -hmm. think, oh, they're going to blast their way out. And they didn't. And it, it raised the stakes yet again. And we talked about that last episode, too. They did a really good job of making you wonder, wow, how, how are they actually going to get out of this? So, right. Yeah. Um, so let's rewind a little bit. Gideon is standing outside the cantina and he is revealing to them that he knows exactly who they are. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on, hold on. Yep. Can we back up just a little bit more? Because sure. we gave us a shout out in episode seven. I think it's due for a shout yes. out in episode eight. Gideon's the arrival. That TIE fighter. Yeah. Oh, man. Isn't that just cool? It is. It it really is. And I've never really cared that much for the... Um, the original TIE LN style TIE fighter. Uh, I like TIE interceptors, but this TIE fighter. I would agree fighter, that TIE interceptors, Vader's custom TIE, mm -hmm. and maybe the bombers look the coolest. Yeah, I'm I'm split on the bombers. Um, But yeah, yeah, I'm with you. And some yeah. of the newer versions I like as well. I don't know about the episode nine version. Um, I like Kylo Ren's. But like the original TIE fighter just never did it for me. But there's something about this one that I like. And I think it's just, I and mean, we see it up close. There's a lot of detail on it. It looks like an upgrade and you've got the folding wings. I don't know if you play um, Star Wars, the X-Wing game from uh, FFG, but the TIE fighter swarm is still one of the most dominant uh, forces to reckon with in the game. If you know how to pilot it well, yes. Yes, it's, it comes down to pure DPS. So as long as you can get your lasers on target, yeah, uh, you're going to win. Yeah. I, I still like the three TIE Interceptors. 
the the three amigos. Uh, but yeah, no, if you're up against a tie swarm, um, you, you better know how to pilot it and you better know how to prioritize your targets and you better be able to do something to mess their flying up somehow. Um, ah, I, I miss that game so much. Anyhow, uh, where were we? Uh, Gideon's introduction. So, yep, you've, you've got the TIE fighter there. You've got more than four stormtroopers behind him. And he starts talking about the different people inside the cantina. So first up, we have Republican shock trooper, not Republic shock trooper, but Republican shock trooper. Right. Which seemed odd. Kara Cynthia Dune. Or uh, I'm sorry, it was Cara Cynthia Dune, I think. So again, with the pronunciation. Uh, but keep going. Of Alderaan. Yes, that's the. That was a surprise to me. I, I thought that was a really nice touch. Yeah. I like um, that. Which kind of gives a little bit of reason why she might want to retire while she's ahead. Yes, and for her over the top hatred of the empire. Like exactly. A lot of people hate the empire, but if you're Alderanian, you really hate the empire. Yeah, like just what's going through her mind when she's being recruited to to come back to fight the empire. Like I I can see why she flipped on a switch. She was yeah. so adamant against it and then all of a sudden's like, "Yeah, I'm in." Yep. Yeah. She would rather die killing more imps than live a, a legacy of what she's gone through. Yeah. I thought that was a nice touch to, to her background there. Uh, and then we have the Mandalorian himself, whose name we mentioned before, Din Jaren. Now we have the official spelling now due to the closed captioning. And my understanding is closed captioning is provided by the showrunners. And of course, it's on Disney's own network. So this is official. Uh, the first name is D-I-N, as we expected. The last name is D. It's a silent D, obviously. Uh, it's D-J-A-R-I-N. So again, Din Jaren. Uh, let's see. Gideon mentions the Siege of Mandalore, which I believe we're going to be seeing in Clone Wars Season 7. And he mentions how uh, the Imperials laid waste to, or specifically the Eweb, laid waste to fields of Mandalorian recruits in the Night of a Thousand Tears. So, hopefully we'll get to see that in Season 7 of Clone Wars coming very, very soon. Then we have Disgraced Magistrate Grief Karga. Who That's a quote, sad title. Quote, betrayed our business arrangement. So, so there's, there's background on him that hopefully we will get soon as well. I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the guy who, Nick Nolte's character. Quill. No, sorry. Um, the Empire guy with the white hair. Oh, yeah. I keep forgetting his name. Sorry. No, I know who you're talking about. Um, I'll look it up while you talk. If they absolutely slaughtered him with no remorse. Yeah, none at all. 
Oh, that's true, yeah. So I was really surprised about that. I thought that that, that character was going to be more of a player in this game other than just the broker. Yeah, it did seem that way. Uh, Warner Herzog and the character on IMDb is just named the client. That's it. Okay. But, you know, Star Wars kind of has a history of introducing an antagonist and then afterwards showing that they're not really the ones pulling the strings. Well, and I think that this show is showing that nobody's safe. They have a little bit of that Game of Thrones vibes going on. That is very true. But it also says something about Gideon, too, that he would just immediately mow down the guy who's supposed to be collecting this baby for him. Yeah. And if it was so important that he get this kid, you would think he wouldn't just put some lackey on the job either. You, he would put someone that he entrusts with something that important. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So if I'm in charge in the Imperial remnants i might be considered an admiral perhaps there's not much more that's higher grand moffs Moffs, Um, maybe well so So he moffs are basically governors where admirals are military commanders so it's um almost one's more political one's more military but there's such a, a bleeding between the two within the empire because the politicians are also military leaders so he he's up there. Let's, yeah, oh, let's yeah. give him that. He has military history. Yep. He's caused chaos before. He has a taste for murder. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty evident. Um, it, it just seems very interesting that... I'm losing my point <laughs> where I was going here. But it, it, it just seems that his... Where where he's going is, sorry, I've completely lost it. That's okay. Well, to talk a little bit more about Moff Gideon, uh, so it's pointed out a little bit later in the scene, actually in the next scene, that Moff Gideon was believed to be dead, executed for war crimes. And uh, Jaren explains that he was an ISB officer during the purge or an Imperial Security Bureau Officer. So then he moved up apparently into the position of Moff. And as you said, Fred, there aren't many ranks higher than that to go. <clears throat> like with Admiral, you've got that and Grand Admiral, and then that's it. And in the government, you've got Moff and then Grand Moff, like we saw with Tarkin, and that's it. Like he is pretty darn high right. up. Now, okay, I remember what I was going to say that because he's so high up in the military, he's an Admiral or he's a Moff, and he's going to lean on his key people. So right below him, he has generals or he has other politicians. Right. Um, and because he is um, that that guy in the bar, the one that is the broker, he is so close to his inner circle that you would expect him to want to protect him um, to use him again in the future. Right. So, yeah. For example, if I'm a boss, I have my direct managers underneath me. Um, be it that it's Eric and Andrea, well, if you guys, if I've dispatched you to go do a task, I'm going to try and protect you so we can use you for another task in the future. Right. 
And if I'm so incompetent that you don't want to protect me to use me again in the future, you shouldn't have put me on such an important task in the first place. Exactly. Right. Yeah, that's why I'm a a little curious about that. I I think that says something about Gideon, that he's either very reactionary. Maybe he just has so many people working under him that he doesn't care who he slaughters. Or maybe it's one of those things where uh, the client was convenient and he happened to be in that locale when they discovered that the child was there and that he was a placeholder until Gideon could show up himself. Probably. So there's that too. Either way, we won't find out because we're not going to see him again. (laughs) So definition of a sociopath. Yeah. Might as well be. Yeah, I mean, sociopath basically is someone who has a complete and utter lack of empathy toward other human beings. Him. So, so you could be borderline sociopath. Yeah. Doesn't care about the people that, well, I just thought you'd do this. You didn't do it. Yeah. Well, we know there's more story, uh, backstory for Moff Gideon. And for grief, both. So we're going to have to keep an eye out for that. Uh, The flashback. Speaking of history, we finally get to see the full scene of Din Djarin as a kid and then getting rescued by not just Mandalorians, but apparently by the Death Watch. Now, do you guys know much about the Death Watch? No, not not as much as I should. Okay, I I agree. So I'm still in the process of rewatching Clone Wars, and I will admit I had to go look this up online. I'm not going to claim to be an expert on all this stuff, but the Death Watch is a group of Mandalorians um, that are, I think, probably one of the reasons the Mandalorians ended up with the reputation that they did. Uh, it was first led by Pre Vizsla and Bo-Katan. And the Vizsla lineage is really important within the Mandalorian culture. Uh, we'll come back to that a little bit more when we get to the end of, of the episode. And then, by the way, the heavy infantry Mandalorian in episode three, that is yep. Paz Vizsla. So he is also a member of Clan Vizsla. Uh, both characters yeah. were voiced by John Favreau. So pre, oh, wow. okay. yeah, pre Vizsla and Bo-Katan were both featured in the Clone Wars series. They teamed up with Count Dooku to help overthrow Duchess Satine, who is mm-hmm. Bo-Katan's sister. Uh, because Satine was a pacifist and Mandalorian culture traditionally has always been about kind of a survival of the fittest sort of thing. It's, um, improvement through conflict, et cetera. Survival and of the fittest, dominance. Exactly. Might has right. Yeah. Exactly. So Death Watch was later <laughs> aligned with Darth Maul and became part of the shadow collective that Darth Maul established, kind of a criminal underground sort of thing. Uh, Pre Vizsla took control of Mandalore, but then was killed by Maul, who then assumed control of both Mandalore and Death Watch. Bo-Katan, however, refused to follow Maul 
So she took her subgroup called the Night Owls and went to find aid. And uh, there's more going on in the Clone Wars series there if you'd like to watch it. So anyhow, Death Watch apparently is the group that rescued Jaren. And it's speculated based on the timeline that this takes place before Maul's involvement with the Death Watch. But again, okay. Yeah, I I didn't do the math. But um, if you want more information on all of that background, you definitely want to check out the Clone Wars. So this is the first, well, okay, since Rebels. um, Rebels was the last place we saw the Darksaber, right? And Satine had it. It was given to Bo-Katan. And this is the next canon um, setting that we see the Darksaber, and this is about six years later. So there's lots of time in between that could have, that these stories could have taken place. Oh, yeah, I didn't even get to the Darksaber yet. So um, going all the way back uh, to the creation of the Darksaber. So the Mandalorians have been around for a really long time in Star Wars lore, uh, going all the way back to the Old Republic time period. And there were different time periods where as we get to the scene with the covert and the armor, um, the armor talks about how the, the Jedi and the Mandalore have um, Mandalore, the great specifically had um, fought Jedi and there's a long history there, but there were times when the Mandalorians and the Jedi were at peace. And during that time, there was a Mandalorian named Tar Vizsla or Tare Vizsla. Again, the Vizsla clan. And apparently that Mandalorian was a Jedi and was taken to the Jedi temple to be trained. And while he was there, he built the dark saber. Now then at some point, he became the ruler of Mandalore, and the Darksaber was a symbol to the people of his rule over Mandalore. When he died, however, the Darksaber went back into the possession of the Jedi and was kept at the Jedi Temple. Now, in Rebels, there's a character named Fen Rao who narrates a story about what happened. Uh, I guess members of Clan Vizsla broke into the Jedi Temple and stole the Darksaber back. And since then, it's continued to be passed down through leadership of Mandalore. Uh, pre Vizsla had it, then he lost it to Darth Maul, and then the Mandalorians recover it in Rebels. So not only do you want to watch the Clone Wars, you also want to watch Rebels. And as you said, Sabine ends up getting it back. She hands it over to Bo-Katan, but there have been six years in between that yeah. moment and what we see at the end of this episode here. So what happened between those, that moment that Sabine lets it go and six years after? Well, I don't know. I don't have the answer to that question yet. Cause Fred jumped to the end of the show notes and I wasn't prepared. Of course, I still, I'm not even reading that. your show notes. Yeah, but you're reading them He's from the back, back up. Spoiler alert. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know how he got the dark saber. Um, but I'm going to blame it on Fred reading the show notes wrong. Because, well, why not? They should be written in reverse order. 
Well, I wrote them in chronological order. The episode, I did my best. I don't know. I had to look a lot of this stuff up. I've still got to go back and rewatch Rebels as well. But it was nice, though, to see in this episode so much of, even if it was just little hints of backstory for some of the characters, but we got quite a bit of reference to Mandalorian history. Even if we had to go back and do some research on it from Clone Wars and Rebels, there were a lot of direct references there. And it was kind of nice to see that. And the Darksaber, we'll come back to that in a minute, uh, but that was a big surprise. Um, now, I mentioned the Armorer. We go into the Covert in the sewers, and uh, after uh, Din Djarin takes uh, apparently a, a fatal wound, and we finally get the helmet taken off. Forgot about that. I didn't even put that in the notes here. So again, with the predictions, we did pretty well. We figured that we would get to see it off maybe once in the season and it would happen near the end. And I like the way that it happened to He said, if you take this thing off me and somebody sees me, I'm, I'd rather die, basically. Yeah, no living being can see me without the helmet. And then Exactly. Yeah, sorry. And IG-11 basically just says, I'm not a living being. Right. W- which is... It's true. Totally against what the Mandalorian feels. He absolutely hates droids. He doesn't want to rely on IG-11. Somebody absolutely hates um, to save his life. Right. So that might be another reason for the whole redemption title. Yeah, possibly. So he's he's redeemed droids. Yeah. To some degree. Yeah, Andrea, there you go. There's There's another throwback to the episode title. So, all right. So in the covert, um, we have the armor. We've got a whole pile of Beskar there. And um, I mean, if they're not using it for anything, I'd I'd be happy to take some of it off their hands. It was a sad scene. I'm glad the armor survived. Um, What do you mean I'm I'm selfish because I'm glad she survived? All those Mandalorians died to protect the armor and the the culvert. Yeah. He just wants the armor. No, I'm (laughs) saying I'm glad she survived. I could say, darn, she survived, and now I'm not going to get any of the armor. I mean, not (laughs) not that I was likely to anyway, but, you know. Yeah, I wouldn't mind a nice cosplay. Thanks a lot, guys. Yeah. Um, No, I, I really liked the, the whole scene, how it played out. I thought the it, we also um, predicted that he would get a, a jetpack at the end of the, the season at some point. Yeah. Yeah. So that happened. Um, that was nice to see. He, he got the Mudhorn um, signet. Yes. He finally so got So I thought that was signet. pretty cool. And it looked a lot better than I thought it would. It took me a minute, like the first time I watched it, it was only on scene so on screen so briefly, I couldn't figure out what it was supposed to be. Because if you look at some of the other crests and signets, they're all facing you. Whereas this was a side shot of an exaggerated uh, mudhorn head. I I couldn't figure out what it was supposed to be at first. It wasn't until a second viewing. I'm like, oh, that's a mudhorn. Yeah. And then he's in the clan of two, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, saying that his um, that 
the child was, um, what's the term that she used? A foundling. Foundling. Thank yeah. you. And, and he's effectively now, a father. Yeah. So he now has to protect the child as if it was his child. Right. So I thought yeah. that was pretty cool. Um, and it is the way it is how he was brought up and it's how he will bring up, um, bring up the child, which is pretty cool. Yeah. And, uh, then it's hammer time. Then you have the armorer sitting, um, preparing for battle. Mm-hmm. She's holding her tools of choice, which is a hammer and oh man, um, hammer and tongs, I guess, um, tools of her trade, and she's able to take on what is it, eight stormtroopers, something like that. Uh, no, I don't think it was. Was it eight? Six? I think maybe six. Hyperbole. So it was like twenty, thirty. Yeah. It it certainly felt like that. And and she's not armed other than just with her tools. And I mean, she just beat the crap out of them. Yeah, it was a pretty awesome scene. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. So, uh, so even the lava she's, she's river. hitting what's that? She's hitting the hammer across the, the one stormtrooper's chin and you see the the faceplate shatter. Yeah. I thought that was pretty cool. It was really sad, though, because one of the stormtroopers got knocked into the forge, and I just kept thinking, oh, he's, oh it's contaminated great. now. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to have to spend some time cleaning it I up. know. Now I can't get my armor as quickly. Unless it's ash to ash, dust to dust. One of the two. Yeah, I, I guess. Yeah, but I don't want all that, that plastoid stuff. Stormtrooper armor mixed in with my best car. Ugh. By the way, if there are any members of the Mandalorian mercs out there, uh, shoot me an email. Why? Because I need a hobby. <laughs> and I need to cosplay. Tim and Lou are both mud troopers. I don't want to be a oh, mud I'm trooper. So I want to be a Mandalorian because Mandalorians are awesome and mud troopers suck. And I mean that in the most loving way possible. No offense to any mud troopers out there. One of my biggest fears right now is um, Andrea's dad picked up a 3D printer. Yeah. And I really want one. And if I get one, I'm going to be a Mando before like year's end. Is it (laughs) large enough that you could print like pieces of the armor? Yeah, you can. Yeah, it really is. Could you do a chest plate? Yeah, so my dad, what he's going to be doing, um, they like, what's that Xbox game? Uh, Fallen what's Order? What's that Xbox? The the it's new the one? fighting one. Fallen Order? No, it's not Fallen a Star Order? Wars game. Um, Halo. Oh, okay. So my little Is brother likes Order? Halo. Oh, yeah. And um, he's going to be building the whole entire Halo armor with the 3D printer. Holy crap. Yeah. So I wonder if that would be more expensive or less expensive than some of the other methods that people use to build the armor pieces. Yeah. Hmm. If it would be less expensive, I may need to commission your dad. Hey, <laughs> I'll get you guys in touch. Hmm. Anyhow, yes. Uh, any any Mando mercs out there who feel like they would be a good person to help get someone into that community. Let me know. 
I w- I've been interested for years. And of course, now I'm all the more interested. Like now I'm like, oh, no, I was stupid for not doing this much, much, much sooner. <laughs> so awesome. Anyhow. So uh, back I'm to the covert to go down that route in the I'm really scared to go down that route. <laughs> yeah, uh, I am, too. It's I, a deep, I, deep, deep hole. I need to know how much money I have to save in advance to all of it. Yeah. All right. So they leave the covert area and they go to the lava river. And I tell you what, that boat, either it's got incredible insulation or those guys must be cooking inside that boat because that's lava through what metal. So that metal, like you couldn't touch the inside of the boat, right? It's made out of Beskar. It's fine. That's a good thing. We do not criticize. Never thought about it. I don't know. It that just it looked pretty harsh. And then I, I watched as I was rewatching it today. I'm watching as they're flowing down the river. They are not sweating at all. No, I've never been near lava, but it seems hot. And then if you are in an enclosed tube, basically like that, it seems mm-hmm. like it would be so hot that you wouldn't be able to breathe, let alone. And can you can you imagine what the inside of that Mando armor must smell like at that point? No, you're, <laughs> you're missing some really big points here. One, you are comparing it to Earth-based lava, and they are not on Earth. They are on Navarro. Oh, it could be very cool lava. It's very, very, yeah. very similar to Mustafar lava. You can fight on the shores of the lava rivers without sweating. It's not a big deal. Mm. Um, you just might spontaneously combust um, your legs at some point. Right. If you're close to the edge. So it's not that you know hot. It's, it's just super hot, but not I'm that teaching, super hot. I'm teaching chemistry at a chemistry unit next semester, and I'm teaching the different chemical reactions. Uh-huh. And one of the chemical reactions is combustion. And I was so tempted to put Anakin in the PowerPoint, but I didn't. It's yeah, that, that might not go over <laughs> that well. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, I I have to say, of all of my droids in the series, I really liked that whatever you call it. Had an R2 head, an R2 chassis, and then two legs, four arms. I have no idea what else it was made of, but and a big stick. The stick I love fire. that droid. That I want something. a toy of that droid. I want a black series figure for that droid. It's creepy. Most droids don't last more than about, what, 30 seconds of screen time in this series? IG-11 maybe being the exception. What about R2-D2? You know what that droid reminds me of? Don't put R2-D2 in the Mandalorian. He'll die. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. What's the term in, like, Catholicism where you have to bring somebody across and you have to put the coins on their eyes? Is it the fairy man? It is. Yeah, but I don't know that there's somebody across purgatory. Catholicism. But I don't think it's 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 Greek. Maybe it's Greek. I I think it's Greek. Yeah. That that's what the whole scene reminded me of. Yeah. Yeah. Granted, it was a little long, but it just seemed like that the whole thing was a little little dark, little end of days. Um, the the droid seemed dead, but yet is alive. And I'm I'm sure that there was some symbolism there that was intentional. Yeah. I'm so sad that that. And I can't even be upset about it because 
it's Kara that did it. And, and so like, you know, oh boy. Of, of course I forgive her because <laughs> it's Kara. Um, oh, do the magic hand thing. That was great. Oh and then he just kind of looks up oh. at grief and he waves. I can't, I can't. I don't like that humor. I love it. They it. did it with the. He's looking at no, grief like he's they an did idiot. it with the. Oh, he's going to bite me. And then he just continues to say stupid things. Well, yeah, he, he does say stupid things. That's, that's kind of what he's there for. Don't give him grief. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I am so proud of you guys that we're nine episodes into this podcast. And that's the first time that's happened. <laughs> Low hanging fruit, Fred. Yeah, I went for it. Uh, okay, so we have the sacrifice of IG-11. Um, no sad. All the droids in this series die, man. But at least this one was emotional. You've got the, of course, the security protocols that were in place. He makes the ultimate sacrifice, and they are able to get out until Moff Gideon shows up with his TIE fighter. And then we get to see the rising Phoenix in action, sort of. I mean, he just basically kind of jumps up with it. It's not like he's flying around with much uh, agility or control. Oh, and that would make perfect sense. This is the first time he's used it. So if he had perfect control over it, wouldn't we all be a little bit suspicious? Exactly. I'm glad that he just basically used it to leap up in the air and then he used his grapple for the rest of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I'm glad they made limited use of that, given the exposition earlier in the episode. Yeah, yeah, that was done well. And then uh, uh, we we have another scene where he kind of uh, does something and it goes wrong. He pulls out the bomb to attach to um, I forget what that part of the fuselage is where the TIE fighter attaches to the solar panels, but he loses grip on the bomb. It flies out from behind him and blows up in the air. Again, not the flawless superhero character, which I appreciate. Pulls out another one, blows off the wing. He took out two more. He wanted to double down. Well, two more. Yeah, I don't blame him. And then they all stroll off into the sunset, all happy. End of story. Except the dark saber. Well, and except that Gideon did not die. I don't care about that. I just care about the dark saber. And there's the dark saber. The dark saber, and there's a human attached to it. That's all I saw. (laughs) Yep. So uh, that again, it begs the question: How did Gideon get the dark saber? And I'm hoping that. I don't know. I'm hoping that Bo-Katan is still alive and maybe we see Bo-Katan in season two trying to retrieve it. Like, I'm hoping that that's going to be a big deal, though. I suspect what's going to happen instead is that Jaren is going to end up getting the Darksaber himself. And I honestly, I wouldn't mind seeing that added to his uh, arsenal. I don't know. Okay, so how about this? How about Bo-Katan had died through an assault that... Um, Gideon did against the Mandalores. He's mm-hmm. able to get the dark saber. Sabine comes in with her clan with the help of Dejarin. 
We were able to get the Darksaber back by the end of Season 2, and Sabine takes her place back as the ruler of Mandalore. I would like to see that. First, I desperately want to see Sabine in this series, number one. Number two, I would like to see her become ruler of Mandalore. If not that, I've been wondering what would happen if they made Jaren leader of Mandalore. He's not ready. He's not ready, and you don't really want to see him as a leader. You want to see him as the lone wolf, but then we've seen other stories where the lone wolf ends up being forced into a leadership position. Um, I just feel like he's so incompetent. What's that? He's super incompetent. Yeah, I mean, he can't keep a kid off the steering wheel of his spaceship. I don't know how he would run. creates very stupid decisions for himself. Yeah. I'd love to do this as a season breakdown, but Andrew and I were talking about this beforehand. We have episode one. Okay, he goes after the bluefin guy, and he's able to bring him in, right? And mm-hmm. then episode two, he goes after the the child. Yep. Right? And IG-11 pretty much does most of the work. Um, there's an opportunity where he goes and fires that one fun gun. and that's Oh, at it. the end he's of the first to- season. Uh, first episode, that was at the end of the first one. Oh, was that the end of the yep. first one? Okay, the second then. one is the Jawas and the Mudhorn. And he totally screws that up. He yep. has to be Both saved by Baby Yoda. Uh, episode three is... Sorry, that was episode three. No, no, that was episode no. two. Episode three was the sin. That's where he goes in and rescues Baby Yoda after turning him in. Right, he does so that he's well. able to de- Yeah, he's able to defeat a couple stormtroopers. Uh, several stormtroopers. Okay. He defeats a couple, one stormtrooper at a time. And then when he's surrounded by all the bounty hunters, who saves him? The Mandalorians. And they all later die because of it. Not all of them. I didn't see a heavy infantry set in there. <laughs> it was the one that was underneath all the smaller. Ones no, heavy. no, he's still they alive. Put it on top. Um, the next episode is Tatooine. And he gets shot in the chest like three times. Uh, yeah. Okay. Next episode is five. That's in the village. That's all Kara. Um, yeah. He can't even, yeah, he couldn't no, even I'll hold one on one against Kara. Yeah. And then the episode after that is the prison break where he totally kicks butt, but it's mainly because he observed Kara. Yep. And then he has to rely on the X Wings to finish the job. Mm -hmm. And then episode seven, he just walks into a trap, lets Quill die. True. Yeah. So over and over again, we see that he's not, uh, he's good, but he's not infallible. And I, I like that though. I want to see some growth there. I don't want to walk in and just see this uh, superhero. I mean, this isn't the Chronicles of Riddick, right? I, yeah. I don't want to see this guy who's just completely unbeatable all the time. This is more fun to watch him grow throughout the series. No, of course. And, and I, I kind of played that off uh, the chin, right? I, I think it's a lot of fun. I really like seeing his growth and I kind of like the fact that he is struggling. Like, yeah. It makes it feel more real. Right. And that we could be in his position. 
Exactly. Exactly. That's, I think, one of the things that makes this series so successful is you can relate to this character. He's not some unattainable, unachievable ideal. It makes you feel like, hey, if I were in this world, I could maybe be a Mandalorian. Mm -hmm. It's like we're not putting him on the same pedestal as Boba, almost. You know what I mean? Right. Like where he seems to, I don't know why, but he seems to be uh, the perfect bad guy. Where the Mandalorian, the Jaren, we see as someone that we could actually relate to. Right. And aspire to be the Boba Fett. Yeah. Yeah. Especially the Boba Fett from Legends. Um, yes, exactly. Just like complete, I don't want to say overpowered, but just almost omnisciently good at everything, weapons, hand-to-hand combat, outsmarting enemies, tax, uh, tactics, yeah. strategy. And it was kind of fun. I mean, he's kind of the Star Wars ninja character. But I like this better. I, this I is agree. just relatable. He's not, he's not too overpowering. He's still learning. He's still leveling right. up. Right. And I think it's good to see villains that are overpowered because then it gives uh, the heroes a big challenge to overcome. But with the heroes, you want to feel like you could be that hero. Yes. Which has always been a struggle that I've had watching Superman, Captain Marvel. Yeah. Like, okay, you just know they're going to win because nothing can really beat them. Right. Right. Well, I mean, super... uh, Superman specifically, I have never been a Superman fan for that very reason. It's just, it's not interesting to see someone that, you know, a lot of people rip on the Batman versus Superman movie, but there were some really good moments in it. One of them is where Batman points out to Superman, you've never known fear. Yeah. Yeah. And Batman is a man among gods, uh, so to speak, when you look at him in the Justice League. And I've always found that more interesting because he doesn't have superpowers. He's psychologically disturbed and troubled. He's got a lot of trauma in his past and in his present. And he has to struggle and overcome that, whereas Superman doesn't have to struggle at all for anything. So I like watching the Mandalorian struggle. I like seeing that there are challenges and he overcomes those challenges. And that's what makes him a compelling character to me. Absolutely. So yeah, I would love to do a complete season breakdown, just go episode by episode and just hash out all these different things. I I really like doing that. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. Well, I know that uh, Tim and Lou from echo base would be interested in, in maybe joining us for some conversations on that. Um, I, I think it might be interesting to get their perspectives on the, the season and, and kind of banter back and forth a little bit about yeah. um, their take on things versus ours and, and see where it overlaps and where it differs. Um, I think that it would be kind of good now that we've got the whole story. It's easier to go back and look at. In fact, I want to do a whole rewatch. I want to go back to the beginning 
and see if it really changes my perspectives on anything. I don't really think there's a lot of plot twisty things that change, but just kind of knowing where the character ends up at the, the end of the first season, I want to see if my feelings on anything change. I want to go back and look at some of the episodes I didn't care for as much the first time around, like the second one. And, um, the fifth one, I think the one on Tatooine, I want to see if my opinions change at all after I've gotten the whole season done. Yeah. The end of episode five is still a mystery to us. Right. So that I'd like to explore that a little bit more. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Maybe that's something that's going to be answered in season two, or maybe that will just be a mystery for uh, a side story. And we've got some news items to cover too. And one of them that just came out and I'm, I'm guessing it'll probably be debunked by the time we get to talk about it. But did you guys see the tweet about the casting for characters for season two? No. Okay. Did I see something about Ahsoka? Uh, referring to? I did not. No, no. This is uh, something that it was a list of, it was a grid of actors headshots with the actor's name and then the character they were playing underneath. So it included, of course, Gina Carano. Um, and then some of the lesser actors like Pedro Pascal, uh, <laughs> Carl Weathers, etc. But then it also had some characters that hadn't been seen yet. that are going to be coming in season two. And I won't give any spoilers here. And again, there's a really good chance that this is not accurate, but someone tweeted this, and mentioned one of the actresses in it and said, hey, is this for real? Are you going to be in season two? And this actress responded and said, that's up to Dave Filoni, or you'll have to ask Dave Filoni about that or something like that. So it was one of those, well, it's not a confirmation, but it's not a denial. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think even if it is false, it might be interesting to talk a little bit about those characters and what they might bring to the series and what we think of the casting of them. Uh, And I don't want to say any more about that, but I'll get you guys um, the info on that. And maybe we'll discuss that in maybe in our news roundup, because there are uh, some other little bits and pieces here and there about Disney plus streaming in general with in regards to Star Wars. But I think that one item would spawn a rather interesting discussion. Oh, for sure. And the item that I brought up as well, that there's rumors of Ahsoka coming to the Mandalorians, I think would be another whole topic of conversation. Um, We would all love to see her or Sabine or both. Yeah. um, Amongst others, I I think the ways that they can go is endless. Yeah. I, uh, well, you know, I'm going to save those thoughts for, for when we get to that. So... I don't want to spoil it for now. All right. Well, that is going to do it for this episode of Knights of the Holland Table. We have covered the finale of The Mandalorian, but stick around. There are more things to talk about. We're going to do our season overview. We are going to do a news roundup because we've got, like I said, some bits and pieces and we've got this casting sort of thing. We've got some information we need to pass along to you again regarding uh, episodes you might want to focus on. Uh, for Clone Wars in uh, regards to The Mandalorian. But then also you might want to watch the last season or two of Clone Wars and maybe we should talk a little bit about where Clone Wars left off as we go into season seven, which is coming February 17th. So lots more for us to talk about. So stick around. 
Send us your comments and feedback. We want to hear from you. We want to know what you think of the season overall, what you thought of the finale, and uh, any thoughts about things like the Darksaber or who or what characters you might want to see in season two. Let us know. Send us your emails at nights at randomchatter.com. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at randomchatter.com, not randomchatter.com, just at randomchatter and at forcechatter. And don't forget to go to randomchatter.com slash discord and join us there. That's going to do it for this episode. Asilius, Ascent, and Sounds, all trademarks are owned by their respective owners. Until next time, take care. <laughs>